It's a beautiful day and a fine time for healing. Podcast host Randy Fine, a narcissistic abuse expert and the author of the groundbreaking book, Close Encounters of the Worst Kind, and the captivating memoir, Cliff Edge Road, invites you into her sanctuary, a place where your physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being are all that matter. So put your feet up, relax, and enjoy today's show. And now, here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am your show host, Randy Fine, and today's special guest, Dr. Jeffrey L. Barkey, a family physician, has a non-traditional view of the overall handling of COVID-19 pandemic, especially the new vaccines. While you're listening, he asks you to keep an open mind, hoping that his views will influence all those who have questions about them. In the third edition of his book, COVID-19, a physician's take on the exaggerated fear of the coronavirus, the first book to discuss in depth the potential benefits and dangers of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, Dr. Barkey methodically examines the major COVID issues, masks, social distancing, vaccines, natural immune systems, and treatments to determine what is fact and what is myth in the current intensely political debate. With reason, honesty, and scientific findings, he differs on the threat posed by COVID-19 to the American people, and he challenges current conventional wisdom. Dr. Jeffrey Barkey is based in Newport Beach, California. He has more than 25 years of medical practice experience. The book's first edition, released on September 16th, sold so quickly that a second edition had to be rushed into production. The third edition that we'll be talking about today appears just as the U.S. government is initiating an ambitious program to inoculate 1.5 million people a day. Good morning, Dr. Barkey. Welcome. Good morning, Randy. Great to be with you today. It's great to have you today. So my first question is, why does, on the back of your book, Larry Elder calls you politically incorrect? Why does he say that about you? <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. I've, I've never seen this in medicine or science before, where if you have a differing opinion from the mainstream narrative, you're considered radical and your voice is shut down and literally banned from YouTube, Twitter, and all social media platforms. And that's what's happening here. That's not the way that science is supposed to be. Science is supposed to be a vigorous exchange of ideas, some of which differ significantly. We argue about those ideas respectfully. We set up experiments to test our hypotheses and then we move forward based on the experiment results. But in this case, it's been very different. Opposing point of views are not embraced and discussed and debated. Opposing point of views are banned, censored, and eliminated from the public uh, sector. And so that's why Larry considers what I'm saying as politically incorrect. It's politically incorrect 
from the mainstream media's perspective. But in my opinion, of course, it is politically correct and should be the basis by which science and healthcare is moved forward by vigorous, polite debate with differing ideas and opinions. Okay. Wow. That's, um, I can't agree with you more. I absolutely cannot agree with you more. I'm appalled at what's been going on. So you say the fact that the overall reaction to the virus has caused more harm than the virus itself. Um, and what do you mean by that? I mean, I have my own opinion, but what do you mean by that? Well, on many different uh, levels, uh, the reaction to our virus has been devastating. I heard uh, uh, Governor Christine Nome from uh, South Dakota say recently, it's not COVID-19 that has devastated our economy. It's the government that has devastated our economy. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, and what she means and what I mean by that is never before in the history of our country have we quarantined the healthy. That's not the way from a scientific standpoint that you handle infection, pandemic, or epidemic, where you ask the healthy population to quarantine, where you arbitrarily determine what businesses and what individuals are essential, and the government makes that determination. So, for example, I live, of course, in Southern California, and our governor here, who is about to be recalled, by the way, made a determination that worshiping a church on a Sunday whether you're socially distanced, whether you wear masks or not, is not essential and it's forbidden versus going to a marijuana dispensary or going to a liquor store or shopping at a big box store such as Costco or Walmart. That all is essential while mom and pop businesses are considered non-essential and must be closed. So we've never done that before in our country. And that's what I mean when, when I say, in part, that the reaction to this virus has been more devastating than the virus itself. When you look at schools, for example, Randy, where they've been closed literally for the last year, in my opinion, unnecessarily, never was the question asked, what will the consequences be of the decision versus simply, we're trying to protect children and teachers, and I get that, but at what cost? So we've seen the highest teen suicide rate that we've ever seen in this country. As a matter of fact, we've had more teens die from suicide than from COVID-19. So that's what I mean when I say the reaction to this virus has been more devastating than the virus itself. Now, I don't want for a second to minimize the effects of this virus. It's real. It's dangerous. If you're in a high-risk group. The CDC defines that high-risk group quite clearly. We know by statistics that about 85%, 80 to 85% of all deaths from COVID-19 have been in the age group of people over 65 years of age. And of those people that have died from this virus, 94% have had significant underlying health conditions uh, that have led to their demise. So we know who should be protected, and it's not children, it's not young people that are at low risk, it's older people with significant underlying conditions. And that's why Jay Bhattacharya, Dr. Bhattacharya, and others 
came out with this concept of the Great Barrington Declaration, which I, along with thousands of other healthcare providers and uh, and the general public, have signed on to. Yeah, uh, and the governor <laughs> and the governor of uh, New York just did everything opposite. He exposed us. What he did, he put everybody in with the with the elderly, exposed them. What a jerk! <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. And you know, most importantly, you know, everybody makes mistakes when we react to a situation in the moment of crisis. And I get that. And I don't blame people for thinking something was a good idea at the time and then finding out it wasn't a good idea. But the problem with Governor Cuomo is that he doesn't admit it. He doesn't acknowledge the mistake that he made. He continues to backpedal to cover up and to obfuscate uh, the decisions that he made that caused significant harm, especially in the nursing home population. That's the problem I have with what he did. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about our immune system because you say that all the specialists have ignored the fact that from the day we're born, we are assaulted by germs by the millions, if not billions, and that our very existence is dependent on a robust immune system. So really, we fight off, we have soldiers in our body fighting off things every single moment of every day. Is that not true? Oh, it's absolutely true. You know, I kind of laugh looking back and I was, I was guilty of this as well, or, you know, more my wife, but nonetheless, uh, I remember when this pandemic first came out, you may remember folks that would have, that would get their groceries and they'd either leave their groceries on the front porch for a day or two, thinking that whatever was the, the potential contamination with the virus would not be long lasting, or in our case, we'd have a kitchen table where we put the groceries and literally with like an antiseptic like Lysol, we'd spray everything down the boxes of cereal or whatever we purchased, you know, this, this hyper paranoia that uh, many of us were guilty of. I had a patient, I'll never forget this. He described this, that he would come home after his day and his wife would make him stand outside, strip off all his clothes, Uh, the clothes would immediately be put in, you know, high temperature uh, washing machine. Then he would have to step into the shower and uh, and shower off before (laughs) she would allow him to kind of enter his house. That was literally the level of paranoia. Now, Now, why did it get to that level? Well, in no small part, it was because of the media. The media was scaring the bejeebus out of us throughout the entire time. As a matter of fact, it's still happening. If, if we don't have fear and dramatic fear at that, then you wouldn't see, for example, that we all see and we shake our head, the person driving alone in their car with a mask on, the person walking their dog by themselves with a mask on. We see that all the time. My wife and I were recently in Denver and in the Denver airport, there were two people that I saw walking by that I had to take a picture of. It was so so remarkable. They were literally in hazmat suits with a uh, full (laughs) head to toe uh, hazmat suit uh, with a, you know, barrier face mask on with uh, gloves on and, uh, and, and hats on, you know, covering their heads. And you just look at this and you go, you know, this isn't, this isn't the plague. 
yet they're treating it as if this is the most dangerous virus, like it's from some, you know, sci-fi movie Andromeda strain, you know, or something of that sort. (laughs) And that's just not the case. What people need to realize is that the overwhelming majority of the world and Americans are not going to be infected by this virus. And even though the numbers are very high and can be alarming, wherever we know, wherever we are now with the CDC numbers, somewhere north of 500,000 people that have died, I'm a bit dubious about how they count COVID deaths. But nonetheless, you know, we have a population of some 350 million people, and we're talking 500,000 deaths. If you look at the number of cancer deaths every year, if you look at the number of traffic deaths, heart attack deaths, uh, breast cancer, and et cetera, and go right down the list, those far exceed the number of deaths from uh, coronavirus. And so we need to put things in perspective, but nobody's doing that. The media enjoys scaring the public uh, because, you know, if it, if it bleeds, it leads. And from a governmental regulatory standpoint, the more fearful the American citizens are, the more compliant they are likely to be with some of these edicts that are just ridiculous the more you think about it. We're going to look back at this in a few years and just shake our heads at the incredible things that people allowed themselves to do uh, during this pandemic. And, And it happens today. Even though in California and across the country, the case numbers are falling dramatic. The number of hospitalizations is falling dramatically. At my local hospital, during the peak of uh, coronavirus, we had some, you know, 500 to 750 people in the hospital. Last I checked, there's 10 people in the hospital from COVID-19. So numbers are, are dropping dramatically, in part because we're getting better and better at treating this disease as an outpatient. We're also much better at treating it in uh, hospitalized patients as well. So we're seeing this, uh, this taper down, yet the fear mongering is still peaking. Now we're hearing about variants that are going to come online, and we're trying to now be scared by so-called variants, and they may be resistant to the vaccine. And now we're being told that natural immunity uh, is not as strong or powerful as vaccine immunity. Um, Randy, wherever have we, where, where, where have we ever heard this before? Never in the history of mankind have we known that or have we thought that vaccine synthetic immunity is better than natural immunity? It's just not so. And yet we're told, you know, even after you recover from COVID, you should step up and get your vaccine. That's just not accurate, in my opinion. Uh, yet, the, yet the dissenting voices like mine that I think are more common than people think continue to be shut down. I'm not allowed to speak. I'm banned on social media. Why? Uh, because I have a difference of opinion of many, Dr. Fauci and company, and therefore my voice cannot be heard. It's, it's, a form of, it's a form of tyranny, in my opinion. That's what happens in third world communist countries, not in America, where we're supposed to have freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and freedom of religion. Yet we're not allowed to do that. Amen. I hear you. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Well said. Well said. So, um, so 
yeah, I mean, our bodies. Okay, so my question is: so, so why do some people? Why are some people asymptomatic? I think the majority of people are asymptomatic, and that's the case with many illnesses. Um, and that's just the reality because our bodies have God-given powerful immune systems, more powerful than synthetic immunization with vaccinations, more powerful than antiviral medications and even antibiotics. You know, we're, we're given at birth with an unbelievably robust immune system, and it's so complicated and so wonderful, we don't, we don't know half of it. So we know that there are a lot of people that had uh, COVID-19 in the early stages, and now we can't measure antibodies. That doesn't mean that they're still susceptible to COVID-19. It just means we're not sophisticated to be able to measure all the details and delicacies of our powerful immune system. Recently, uh, there was some testing that came online. As a matter of fact, I just ordered some test kits, and that's the ability to measure T cell immunity. That's a different part of our immune system that's much more difficult to measure uh, with a simple blood test to look for IgM acute or IgG memory antibodies. And so I believe if you've had Corona-19, um, you'll likely have long-lasting immunity. And at worst, if you do catch it again, it's most likely going to be much milder because your body's immune system has been conditioned to look for and to fight uh, COVID-19. We keep mm -hmm. hearing about these variants that are gonna come online and wipe out humanity. What people need to remember is that, you know, every year when the flu vaccination comes out, it's a different vaccine than the year before. And the reason why is there's variants. Influenza is constantly changing. Some, some years it's very infectious and deadly where we'll have 60,000 or more Americans that will die. And some years it's very light and mild where it barely uh, infects uh, the community. So the virus is always mutating and changing and we expect the same to be with this COVID-19 virus. Remember COVID-19, first of all, we, we use the names COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 interchangeably. COVID-19 refers to the illness caused by SARS-CoV-2. CoV-2, of course, is coronavirus 2. Coronavirus has been around forever. Coronavirus is the single most common cause of common cold. So SARS-CoV-2 is a variation on the theme of coronavirus, been around for many, many years. It's nothing we should fear. It's nothing we should be alarmed by because we've seen it forever. So just as cold viruses, we we catch a common cold. We all, we all catch those from time to time, and uh, we recover from them. And then typically we don't catch a cold for a long time because our body is immune now to that coronavirus and ones that are closely aligned. But over the years, coronavirus changes. So we might catch a cold the following year or several months later. The same is true of influenza, and the same is going to be true of SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 virus. So it's nothing to be alarmed by. When we hear the media say there's some UK variant that has been found in Los Angeles or other, other places in the country, well, of course, that's to be expected. That's the way viruses roll, and our immune system is very powerful and can handle it.
What you're never told, Randy, is how should we support our immune system so it's in the best position to handle not just SARS-CoV-2, but any other virus, be it the cold virus or influenza or who the heck knows what that uh, nature is going to throw at us. We never talk about that. And I know your show often talks about that, how to reduce stress, how to eat healthfully, um, what supplements we should take to support our immune system, et cetera, to best prepare our internal army to battle against this virus, other viruses, bacteria, and God only knows what that nature throws at us uh, that is trying to beat us down. So that's where the focus, in my opinion, should be, not on fear-mongering that some variant may come our way or that some new influenza strain will be here next year that's going to wipe out humanity. Yeah. You know, when this uh, first hit, I did a show with my own opinion, you know, and I was just, I couldn't believe that they weren't giving us ways to protect ourselves. And I, what do you think about zinc and vitamin D? And, you know, what, what are your recommendations for um, building immunity? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I heard Dr. Scott Atlas just uh, last night speaking on, you know, one of the uh, TV shows. And, and he was saying he can't believe that more information isn't out there to educate people how to take care of themselves. We know there's a direct correlation between bad outcome with COVID-19 and vitamin D levels, for example. And in the African-American community and other dark-skinned people, one of the reasons why they in particular get hit hard with COVID-19 is because of their dark pigment, they're not able to convert sunlight into vitamin D as readily in their skin so they tend to have lower vitamin d levels and so it's a simple fix vitamin d is super cheap and readily available at your local supermarket um, or vitamin store so i measure and put almost all my patients on a vitamin d supplement to try to boost their vitamin d up to the higher levels of normal not the lower levels because of this co correlation i also think zinc is a good uh, supplement to take because we know that zinc disrupts viral replication. So having zinc in your body, if you get the coronavirus is important. And along with that is that new weird supplement that we've uh, now learned the name of, and that's called quercetin with a Q. It's not expensive. You can buy it at the local vitamin store, supermarket, even on Amazon if you continue to shop on Amazon. And quercetin works by a mechanism that's known as being an ionophore. And what that means is it simply helps open up the cell to allow zinc to get in. By the way, that's a similar mechanism that, that uh, forbidden to talk about prescription safe medication called hydroxychloroquine works. So quercetin is almost like a supplement version of hydroxychloroquine. Helps open up the cell to allow zinc to get in, zinc disrupts viral replication. I continue to believe that if we treat this virus when people get infected in the earliest stages with mild symptoms, we can almost always be successful. I've literally treated, Randy, hundreds of patients with COVID-19, and I've done so successfully. Almost every time when you treat early with mild symptoms, 
you can be successful. Our toolbox of tools that we have to treat this virus is growing. Not only do we have hydroxychloroquine, which I continue to think is effective, we also have ivermectin, which is a repurposed antiparasitic drug that has shown efficacy against COVID-19, in addition to inhaled budesonide. Budesonide is an old, older generation asthma steroid. Uh, Richard Bartlett popularized this. Uh, he's out of Texas. It reduces inflammation in the lungs. Uh, COVID-19 is primarily a respiratory disease, and you put that steroid directly in the lungs through an asthma nebulizer, although there is an inhaler version of it as well. It reduces inflammation. So we're pretty good now at treating both outpatient and inpatient. Um, and, but what I try to get my patients to focus on is let's not focus on treatment when you get sick. Let's focus on all these underlying conditions that could put you at high risk being overweight, uh, cardiovascular disease, unchecked hypertension, diabetes, especially type 2 diabetes with elevated blood sugar that is almost always the result of obesity and poor eating habits. Let's focus on those things first. If you do come in contact with this virus, your body will be in a much better position to fight it off. Mm. Okay. Sounds really good. I mean... Be proactive instead of reactive. That's really the way to do it. <clears throat> so, you know, one of the thoughts I had is, you know, I mean, I have like four different kinds of hand sanitizers in my car. <laughs> I have the liquid. I have the pull-up wipes. I have the open, you open the thing with the wipes. I have so many different things. And I'm thinking to myself, what are we doing we are absolutely messing up our immune systems because as soon as we stop doing this, we're going to get everything that comes down the pike because we've, like, frozen our immune systems. Um, not frozen yeah. it, but, but, you know, stunted our immune system. What is your thoughts on that? Well, there's no question. You know, it reminds me during medical school training, uh, we rotate through the various specialties, including pediatrics, for example, and we all, all the residents and, and doctors are aware that when you first start your pediatric residency or your pediatric rotation, it's not uncommon that you end up getting sick because you're exposed to all these little kids with runny, snotty noses and colds, and you're not used to being around that. So the first few weeks, typically, you end up catching colds. And eventually, as the weeks go by in your rotation in pediatrics, your immune system adapts to it. So now what we're doing is we're, we're shutting down the schools. We're locking everybody up in their houses. They're no longer exposed on a daily basis to all these pathogens, bacteria, and viruses in their life. So it's sort of the equivalent as we open up the economy. It's that resident who first starts in their pediatric rotation again. And I personally don't really use hand sanitizers. There's nothing better to clean your hands than good old-fashioned soap and water. And, you know, remember, I don't know about you. I'm not sure how old you are, Randy. I'm, I'm 58. When I was a kid, um, <clears throat> you know, me and my friends, we'd, We'd go out in the afternoon after school. We'd play outside for hours and hours unsupervised in the day, play football in the street, throw a baseball around, run around the neighborhood, uh, often barefooted, 
uh, digging in the dirt with our bare hands. Um, we'd be exposed to all these things without these overprotective uh, parents that would be, you know, following us around with sanitizer spray. I think we've overdone it, and we've um, we've we've misread the ability of our immune system to fight these things off. And I don't think we've done ourselves any good. So the temporary benefit from sanitizing ourselves is going to linger with long-term effects of reducing the potency of our immune system to fight off the natural, normal pathogens uh, that we share the world with. So I don't think it's a good idea to over-sanitize. In addition, the studies have shown that COVID-19 is not contracted uh, by surfaces. So you're not going to touch a surface that somebody else that had COVID was exposing, and then you get it. That's not the way typically that you get it. You get it like you do influenza, respiratory secretions. So somebody that's ill, that's coughing or sneezing, that's in your vicinity. There's very, very little evidence that asymptomatic people, those that may have the virus but don't have any symptoms, spread it. And it just makes common sense, but we've lost the ability to think in common sense terms. In order for me to spread the virus, I need to cough or sneeze while I'm infected. Well, if I'm not coughing or sneezing, unless I'm two inches away from you for an extended period of time, you ain't going to get the virus. Here's the perfect example. The one um, industry that wasn't shut down during this pandemic was air travel. So here we are, my wife and I, we, my kids live in the Midwest and on the, in, and the East Coast, so we never stopped traveling. We didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be isolated from my kids. So we continued to travel. Yet while we traveled, even though we were wearing masks and we can talk about masks, we were sitting six inches away from people for five hours on, the, on a plane trip. And um, so if somebody wasn't ill, coughing and sneezing, sitting right next to me, you're not going to catch COVID-19. And the studies even showed that. Air travel was not a significant contributor uh, to this virus. Uh, significant contributors were people that were in close proximity to each other that were ill. And when we lock people indoors, indoor spread was found to be more prevalent than outdoor spread. You know, it made me really sad the other day, local newspaper was celebrating that a local high school was back playing sports. And they had a picture of teenage girls competing against another team in beach volleyball. Now, the last time I checked, beach volleyball is at the beach and it's outdoors and the breeze is blowing and the sun is shining, the lowest risk environment for the spread of viral illnesses that you can imagine. But yet here were these young girls all masked up while participating in sports. And it made me really sad because not only was it completely unnecessary and not supported by science that teenage girls should be wearing masks outdoors at the beach while participating in athletics, but it's also very unhealthy to have a mask on for an extended period of time while you're exercising. We have lost our minds in this country allowing this to happen. As a parent, I would never, ever allow my kid 
to exercise indoors or outdoors while wearing a mask. It's unhealthy and it's completely unnecessary. Hmm. Okay. Um, so let's talk about masks. What are they effective? Are they not effective? Are some effective? Are some not? I mean, what's the deal with masks? That's a good question. First of all, let's ask uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, March 2020. <laughs> and I'm quoting now, March 2020, uh, Dr. Anthony, uh, the czar Fauci, quote, people should not be walking around with masks. It's not providing the perfect protection that people think it is. There are unattended consequences as people keep fiddling with their mask, keep touching their face, which may actually increase the risk. Now, I'm always asked, yeah, Barky, but what about doctors? They wear masks in the operating room, for example, so certainly masks must work. By the way, Randy, if your audience is interested in learning more about me, my daughter created a website for me called rx for liberty rx4forliberty.com, where there's a link to my book, both to my publisher if you want to bypass Amazon, or a link to Amazon if you, if you still are using Amazon. In addition, I write essays every couple weeks, and I like to send them out to people that are interested in reading them. So you can sign up for an email from me, uh, only my essays. I never give the email list to anybody. I don't spam you. I don't try to sell you anything. There's also a list of recommendations for supplements. So back to the masks. So surgeons wear masks for very different reasons than people realize. It's not to prevent the transmission of viral infections. The reason why surgeons wear a mask, if you've ever been in the operating room, and I don't mean as a patient, but as a uh, observer or if you're a physician or a nurse, you'll know that first of all, there's multiple people standing around the patient. So you gotta talk, you gotta talk to each other you know, pass this retractor, hand me the scalpel, hold this uh, area, et cetera. And when you talk, there's a natural tendency that you kind of spittle a little bit. And we don't want the spittle from your mouth to end up into an open wound because it's not good for your patient's wound to have whatever you had for lunch or to, or to get the natural bacteria that you have in your mouth into an open wound. So that's one reason why you wear a mask. The other reason why you wear a mask is the opposite. So while you're irrigating a wound with sterile saline water, there's, a, there's splatter that occurs. And that splatter, not uncommonly, can get on your scrubs that you're wearing, on your mask, on your glasses. So not only do you not want the patient's open wound to share your lunch and bacteria, but you don't want to share the inside of that patient with your mouth. And so you're protecting the patient from you and, the pa and you're being protected from the patient. As a matter of fact, there was an article out of, I think it was New Zealand recently, that looked at uh, the infections, surgical infections uh, from the doctors who were and were not wearing masks. And what they determined was there is no infection reason for a surgeon to wear a mask during surgery. Uh, there really wasn't a difference when surgeons operated with or without a mask. And when you take care of a, uh, of a uh, infectious disease patient, a COVID patient, for example, in the intensive care unit, the reason why you wear a mask, and by the way, you don't just wear any mask, 
you wear a custom-fitted N95 mask. My local hospital a couple times a year has fitting appointments that you can make where you go in and a nurse will help. The N95 mask comes in different sizes and shapes. They will fit you with an N95 mask, and they'll teach you how to properly put it on and how to properly take it off. So if I walk into an ICU to take care of an infectious disease patient, not only am I wearing an N95 mask, I'm also putting a stocking cap over my head. I'm also putting glasses on. I'm also putting a gown on and gloves on. I'll go into an ICU for however long, five or 10 minutes to take care of the patient. Then I leave the ICU and what do I do? I carefully take off all my protective equipment and I put it into, no, not over my rear view mirror, not over my forearm. I put all that equipment into a hazardous waste disposal bin to later be properly disposed of. Yet you and I know we see people with masks hanging over their rear view mirror or on their forearm. So if you're going to wear a mask, a mask should be worn for a very short period of time. It should be specially fitted for you. You should be taught how to put it on without contaminating it, how to take it off without contaminating yourself, and then properly throwing it away. Every time you put a new mask on, it should be a brand new mask, not an old mask. So during this whole COVID uh, outbreak, we heard not only Dr. Fauci, but we heard the World Health Organization say the same thing. We heard the Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, tell us, not to wear a mask. We heard the CDC tell us not to wear a mask. HHS, uh, the head of HHS told us, don't wear a mask. And even the New England Journal of Medicine told us in May of 2020 not to wear a mask. And I'm quoting from the New England Journal because it's hilarious. They said this right before political pressure forced them to take this down. They said the following, May 2020, in an article, expanding masking protocols' greatest contribution may be to reduce the transmission of anxiety. And this was written by physicians from Harvard Medical School and, in the, and from the Infectious Control Unit of Massachusetts General. Mm, wow. You know, um, my son is a surgeon, <laughs> so a lot of what you told me um, I'm aware of, and uh, he's, a, he's a surgeon out in Ontario, California. But, you know, when this first broke, he could not get an N95 mask. The hospitals had him locked up, and they were only giving them out for very, very specific things. <clears throat> well, my son is pretty wise, <laughs> and he would figure out ways to to go to the nurse's station and get them. Um, and he also ordered some of his own to make sure he had them. But they really did, they really were cutting down on that supply, which was, they also didn't have the gowns either. <clears throat> but the other thought I had about him is, and you probably have the same, he's been working in hospitals, you know, for so many years that he says every, all doctors have colonies of MRSA in their noses from all that exposure, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't cause any problem because they have the immunity. What, do you um, have a thought on, thought on that? Yeah, I don't know that all doctors, I, I mean, it, it would be interesting to 
randomly test every doctor in the hospital, put a swab up their nose, and see mm-hmm. if they have MRSA. MRSA, of course, is methicillin-resistant staph aureus. So staph aureus is a type of bacteria uh, that's been around forever. It's a common cause of wound infections. Um, and the methicillin-resistant, so it's a strain of, uh, of staph aureus that is resistant to some of our common bacteria. Uh, sorry, some of our common antibiotics. So that's where the name MRSA comes from. So it's fairly common, and you're, you're right, Randy. There are a lot of people that have colonized MRSA in their nose, uh, other areas of their body, but cause them no harm. And the only time it causes harm is if there would be a break in your skin, for example, and that MRSA could get into the wound and then cause an infection. So I think we need to stop this nonsense of being so alarmed and so worried about everything that possibly can harm us. The, the, the fear of harm is causing so much stress and mental illness problems. I mean, why, why else would a person drive in their car by themselves with a mask on? Why in the world would somebody be walking by themselves or jogging by themselves and put a mask on? The only possible explanation is either ignorance or fear or a little bit of both. And we've entered this dystopic universe where just the strangest things are happening. And in part, I think they're happening because there isn't a robust discussion and exchange of ideas that are allowed. We're only allowed to hear one directional information that the mainstream media and the bureaucrats want us to know about. And I'll tell you, it's, it's hard not to be skeptical about the motivations for that. And in part, there may be financial motivations. Listen, Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, the makers of the COVID vaccine are set to uh, benefit enormously. Billions of dollars are going to be made from these vaccinations and the distribution of them. Yet all these companies are completely immune from any liability. So the government has given blanket liability to all vaccine manufacturers, not just from COVID, but all, but all vaccines, childhood vaccines, et cetera. And so it's a perfect business model. I'd like to participate in this business model where I have complete uh, immunity from any liability for whatever product I develop. And the government mandates that the customers must purchase my product. So we're going to see vaccine mandates for COVID-19 coming up, in my opinion. We already have vaccine mandates in California for children to attend any school, public school. Um, You are not allowed to attend public school unless you're fully vaccinated. There are no longer personal or religious exemptions from that. So we've got a perfect business model. Mandate the customer and uh, make the company immune from all liability. I think it's I think it's uh, it's I think it's harmful. I don't think it's appropriate. And unfortunately, most people aren't even aware of this business model that exists with these pharmaceutical companies. Um, so they're going to be making billions of dollars of profit. And in part, uh, the, the cheap cures, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, natural immunity, there's this bias against those. Uh, because people that make, the companies that make expensive treatments, 
the IV uh, remdesivir, that expensive medication that we use for COVID-19 and hospitalized patients, thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, and so there's this incentive, this perverse incentive to quiet the voices that say there's an inexpensive alternative and to quiet the voices that have a dissenting opinion as to whether you should even get this vaccination. Yes, and I want to talk about that. I want to make sure we do talk about the vaccination because, um, you know, that's really on everybody's minds right now. <clears throat> what are your feelings about getting vaccinated? Yeah, good question. I'm not anti-vax, and I'm always accused of being an anti-vaxxer. I'm anything but. Uh, I have an essay in my book, COVID-19, A Physician's Take on the Exaggerated Fear of Coronavirus. Again, you can get a link to that book, rxforliberty.com, rxforliberty.com. I'm not anti-vax, but I am pro-informed consent. And I think it's important that people know the truth about this vaccination. First of all, we're using brand new technology that's never been used in a vaccination before. That's messenger RNA technology. It may turn out to be the greatest thing ever, but it is new and it's untested. This vaccine is an investigational vaccine. That's not my opinion, Randy. That's right on the white paper that was presented to the FDA for approval. The white paper said, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, requesting permission for emergency use authorization for our investigational vaccine. That's the wording investigational that Pfizer and Moderna and all of them use. So we're using a vaccine that's investigational under emergency use authorization. We've never done that before. Normally it takes about five years for a vaccine to come to market. Vaccines are always tested on animal models first to ensure human safety. Uh, the FDA gave a pass on Moderna and Pfizer and the others to do animal models and go directly to human testing. Uh, this vaccine um, was, uh, came to market in less than a year, and that should certainly be applauded under President Trump's Operation Warp Speed. It was quite a phenomenal achievement. Uh, but nonetheless, investigational emergency use um, and a brand new technology with very limited safety data. So I get it if you're in a very high risk group that you should consider getting this vaccination, but it makes no sense to me to now be experimenting on our children with this vaccination. And for God's sakes, we should not be allowing pregnant women to get this vaccination. We have no studies, no animal studies on pregnancy and messenger RNA technology vaccine. It makes no sense to me that uh, any woman during pregnancy would allow herself to be experimented on and her baby with, with a novel emergency use authorization vaccine. And as a parent, I would never allow my young child to get such a vaccine, at least for years until we are absolutely certain of the long-term safety. I mean, these kids are gonna get this vaccine. The components of messenger RNA vaccine is gonna be in their, in their bodies for years. We just don't know about the long-term consequences. Our kids already are vaccinated with an enormous number of vaccines. They're mandated to do so to attend school. We don't need to add another vaccine against a disease that they have very, very, very low risk of getting. 
and very low risk of having any severe consequences of COVID-19 should they get it. So it makes no sense scientifically, uh, yet there are financial incentives to do so. And God only knows what other reasons that the government and the vaccine companies are pushing this on our children. Oh, my gosh. So, so frightening. So what is, what is altering the RNA going to do to our bodies? We don't know. We don't, we, don't, we don't know because we haven't done this before. You know, messenger RNA technology has been around for a while. We use this with some cancer drugs, but we've never used it uh, as an injectable synthetic uh, vaccination. So we simply don't know. I mean, normally we would be testing this stuff for five years or so on animal models first to make sure that they're safe. Typically they use ferrets as a guinea pig, no disrespect to guinea pigs, but ferrets, their immune system mimics some of the properties of our immune system. And they used to do this years past, trying to come up with a vaccine against coronavirus, the common cold, wouldn't that be nice? And every time they do this with ferrets, they're able to get an immune response to whatever vaccine that they're testing but then they expose these ferrets to the natural coronavirus that they're testing against. And paradoxically, these ferrets have an exaggerated response to the virus with an immune um, response uh, that ultimately kills the ferrets. And so there's a, there's a problem in the vaccine industry known as immune enhancement uh, that they haven't been able to overcome. So we still don't know once people are vaccinated, that a season later when the next wave of COVID-19 comes around, if they'll actually be protected, or could there be a paradoxical reaction where their immune system creates an exaggerated cytokine storm that causes more harm than good? We just don't know. I hope that's not the case, but all I'm asking for is anybody who gets the vaccine should be able to weigh what are the benefits And if you're in a high-risk group, I get that there are benefits, potential benefits, and you need to weigh that against what are the potential risks associated with getting the vaccine. And we don't quite frankly know what all those risks could be. So that's just normal medical procedure. What are the risks? What are the benefits? Make an informed decision about whether you want to get this vaccine. I'm not anti-vax, but I am pro-informed Uh, decision-making informed consent. That's all I'm asking for. Yet I'm called a quack. I'm called an anti-vaxxer. And uh, it's just ridiculous. When people disagree with me, they call me names rather than argue on the merits of of what I'm saying. Mm. Well, I mean, everything that you're saying to me is absolutely logical. Um, And I, you know, but I don't understand all this silencing of the truth uh, and absolutely I understand why they're silencing you because you, you you're telling the truth um, what well do I you think, think I'm of, telling the truth you are I believe you are because I believe everything you're saying because I feel very similar what do you think about um, a woman who is planning to get pregnant but is not pregnant yet so do you well, think the, that well the same mm-hmm. the, Same kind of thing. So obviously that woman is in childbearing years. So that's, you know, whatever that is, you know, 18, 20 years old, up to maybe mid thirties, even early forties. Now in general, that age group is at very low risk. So again, I'm not anti-vax, 
but that woman should weigh what are the risks and what are the benefits and make that decision. In general, though, somebody who's 30 years old and is otherwise healthy, I consider them to be at low risk. I also believe that if they were to get uh, COVID-19 and they have a doctor that knows how to treat this early with mild symptoms, I'm not worried that there's going to be a bad outcome. And so that's an age group generally that I would lean in the direction of taking a pass on the vaccine for now until we can assure that it's safe and we won't know that until long-term studies have been completed. But I can tell you this, Randy, um, any woman who's pregnant, in my opinion, is out of their mind uh, allowing themselves to be vaccinated with a growing baby in their uterus. I think that makes no sense. There has been zero studies supporting scientifically the use of messenger RNA vaccines during pregnancy. So until those studies have been done on animal models and the like, I would never, ever allow my wife, we're, we're past having kids, but you get the idea, I would never allow my wife to have such a vaccine, and I would never recommend to a patient of mine that, that uh, is pregnant to allow themselves to be experimented upon with a messenger RNA vaccination. Okay. Well, so I know we need to finish up, but, but so if anybody's listening and they've already had one and they haven't had their second, what if they stop at this point? You know, what if they're hearing what you're saying and saying, oh, why did I get that shot? It, are they, if they don't get the second one, are they better off? You know, I don't know. Once they've gotten the first shot, they, I, you know, I don't, I don't really have a strong opinion here. If you've gotten the first shot, <clears throat> there's some concern that uh, j just like other treatments, if we, if we tease the virus uh, a little bit, the virus will be stimulated to change, and that's one of the risks of, uh, okay. of the vaccina vaccinated antibodies. The vaccinated antibodies are very powerful but very narrow in their scope. And when you create this army of powerful, narrow antibodies, you're also telling the other natural antibodies in your body to kind of stand down. And so mm. if we get a variant that these antibodies, if we get a variant virus where these antibodies are not going to be able to fight, our natural immunity may be in a weakened state to be able to step up and fight. So that's one of the other worries, that are we creating uh, people that have a weakened ability to fight against COVID-19 uh, because they have this army that's blocking out some of our natural immunity, and this army is the wrong army to be fighting variants and so forth. So we don't know. I'm speculating here, uh, but to specifically answer your question, I don't really have an opinion. If you've gotten one but you're now nervous, should you not get the second? I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of neutral on that. I don't have an opinion. I don't have any science right now to support an opinion. Um, so I don't know that I want to weigh in on that. Um, okay. Again, high-risk people, sure, consider the vaccine. Low-risk people, I think I would lean in the direction of the risks outweigh the benefits at this time. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I know you have to go, but I, this has been so great. Um, thank you. I, I definitely want to spread the word here. I want to post this, uh, you know, this section, this session on, um, 
everything I can so people can hear what you have to say and they can take it or leave it, you know, but I like to bring all kinds of points of view here and I agree with your point of view. So thank you for writing this book and being my guest today and, um, you know, keep going, keep trying, keep talking. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, thank you, Randy. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience. Again, rxforliberty.com, if uh, your audience wants to learn more about me or follow me with my essays or uh, get a hold of my book. So thanks a lot. Look forward to coming back on your show at some point. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll, continue the, we'll continue the discussion. Okay. All right. Take care. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye now. Thanks. Bye. So we are out of time today, but if you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email me at loveyourlife at randyfine.com. May joy and serenity always be yours. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Visit randyfine.com, R-A-N-D-I-F-I-N-E.com, and be sure to sign up to receive updates on the latest blog posts, events, and upcoming shows. Thank you for listening. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.